0: Of We're in the beginning of Exodus,
1: uh,
0: but in, in Jewish in Jewish study, there's always been this idea of reflection. You know, we just finished Genesis. Uh, Genesis is Breshit, in Sorry. Hebrew. And Breshit, we learned a lot, a lot of narrative, a lot of dialogue, a lot of history uh, about our forebears. And we look at, at um, Genesis in, in, in several ways. We can look at it as kind of uh, the groundwork uh, for the Jewish people. And we don't really meet the Jewish people, we meet the Jewish family, we meet the Jewish forebearers. we meet the forefathers, we meet the visionaries behind the Jewish idea, we don't yet meet the Jewish people. What's going to change from Genesis to Exodus is a very uh, uh, important shift in the focus of, of, of what Torah is trying to convey. Uh, if Genesis was about the Jewish family, <coughs> Exodus, Shemot, is about the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation is going to begin in a very sorry or very unfortunate state uh, in, uh, in, in Egypt as slaves. Now, uh, Genesis, so we said, is the formation, but also Genesis is the story of great individuals. Uh, if you look at the breakdown of the 12 sections of Genesis, we essentially find that the first section, Bereshit, is a story about Adam Adam and Eve Noah obviously is about Noah the story of Noah the remarkable uh, individual and episode of the flood and Noah and then his family and then we settle down we talk about the three pivotal characters three I guess three and a half pivotal characters of Genesis and the forbearers of our nation that we call the forefathers of the Avot Uh, that's Abraham Isaac and Jacob. So we have um, the the, the parsha is about Abraham and the great lessons and the stories and the insights and the teachings that are that that build us as a nation uh, in the tradition of Abraham. Then we have Isaac and the lessons of Isaac and the traditions and the behaviors that we have from Isaac. Uh, and lastly, Jacob as well, and Jacob and, and eventually Joseph. Uh, and we look at the forefathers as being not just people with ideas or with ideals or with mitzvahs or with, you know, our forefathers, but they embodied, they personified what it is that we are as a nation. If we want to look at the core of what Judaism is, we can look back at the forefathers and see what they demonstrated in their behavior, and that is manifest with us on on a national scale. So just as a quick example, we talk about Abraham being corresponding to the first temple. first temple was built by Solomon, destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar, right? That's corresponding towards Abraham. We look at the second temple corresponding to Isaac. And the uh, forthcoming third temple is corresponding to Jacob. And, 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 and the three prayers of Shabbat, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these three pillars of the world... Right. Uh, these are the three, uh, uh, the kind of uh, what, what what the Talmud calls the Merkava. Merkava means the chariot. The chariot of God, so to speak, is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In our prayers, we say at the, at the beginning of the prayers, we mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? Why? Because these three are the models of what a Jew is. Now we find. Uh, so, so 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 my idea is like this. what I want to do is I want to take the uh, the number one quality of each one of these uh, three visionaries and use that as a cap on Genesis and more of a practical uh, implications. because when we read you know the Torah, the word Torah uh, means instruction. And um, hi Wendy. And if Torah means instruction, then every then it has to if it to be Torah it has to be instructive. If you find a narrative in the Torah, if you find a dialogue in the Torah, if you find a story in the Torah, you have to say, okay, this is Torah. Thus, if it's Torah, it's instructive. And then therefore, the proper question to ask when you read the Torah is, what is the instruction? The Torah is not necessarily just telling us history and stories for our own amusement. It's telling us for the lessons. So, And, and, and the commentators, and, and what we try to do uh, on the micro scale, is take the the little bits of, of 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 Torah that we're reading and ask ourselves, okay, what's the lesson? How does it apply to me? Right, trying to dig deeper. Now, what we're going to try to do is, is 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 zoom out a little bit and look on the big picture. The big picture. Zoom out of Genesis. What do you see? You see the remarkable individuals that to this day are inspiring their nation: Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now we start over here in Perkavot is a very famous Mishnah the second Mishnah Pateravot everyone's here heard of chapters of the fathers right. this is the book of Jewish ethics the very first book of Jewish ethics and in the second very second Mishnah very second statement it says as follows on three things the world is supported there's three pillars that uphold the world and remember we just mentioned that there's three pillars that uphold the world Abraham Isaac and Jacob Three things that uphold the world. On three things, the world is supported. Uh, anyone anyone familiar with this? On Torah. On, Torah. On service. Right. These three things. These are the three things that uphold the world. Which means kindness. And the Zohar tells us that the fact that these are the three pillars of the world is no coincidence. Because those same three pillars that we talked about—Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob—the ones that we mentioned at the beginning of our prayers, right? The four bearers of our nation, the three pillars that hold up us—they correspond to those three same qualities. Thus, the quality of Torah, Avodah, and Gemilut Chasadim are manifest in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, how so? when you read about Abraham, Abraham is very famous. Abraham is a pivotal character in world history. Why is that? Because Abraham changed the world more than anyone else in the world did. Abraham emerges in a world of total paganism. And Abraham introduces a radically different idea. A very controversial idea. But an idea that has changed the world. And that's the idea of God, if there is a God, we all pretty much agree that it has to be the Abrahamic God, the, the monotheistic God. At that time, it was a pagan world. Right, everything was all physical. The idea of a spiritual being a separate plane was totally foreign. Abraham comes and introduces that idea. You open up the Torah, and what do we meet? We meet Abraham. And what do we tell? What are we told about Abraham? What's the overarching message of the two? Uh, uh, or even three sections of the Torah that talk about Abram, there's one overarching quality that is emphasized again and again and again about Abram. Kindness. kindness. The Torah says, Abraham's faith was manifest in his kindness. Now what does faith and kindness have to do with each other? That's um, They seem to be different, you know. Faith is man and God, kindness is man and men. How do they seem to have any, any overlap? It's a very interesting idea, like big picture Abraham's the one who introduces the idea of faith fantastic right Maybe it should have presented him in the Torah as a man who went and had ideas and they were very unpopular and he stood up to the to, to, to the world and he went and taught and gave lectures and made disputations and and would debate and argue and <laughs> would, would go to town to town uh pontificating. And delivering messages and, and putting postcards and disseminating an idea, and you open the Torah, you find nothing about that. It's all about Abraham with you know, the, you know those three angels and the maniacal kindness that he had. Abraham trying to intercede on behalf of stone. Abraham saving his, his brother in law Lot. You don't find anything about his faith. So there is a very deep idea here being conveyed, but Abraham clearly is the paragon of faith of, of kindness. One of the pillars that uphold the world in more ways than one: Abraham, and the uh, and the uh, and the and the quality of faith uh, of kindness. Isaac. Isaac, we find very little narrative about Isaac. What we do find several times is that Isaac is going out to the fields. Isaac was always in the fields. Be'er lachayroi. Remember that. Uh is coming back with Eliezer, and they see and they see Isaac, and she falls off the camel. Right? And he was, out, he was out in the, in the fields. What was he doing in the fields? Uh, Isaac went out to talk in the fields. Was he one of those guys? Was he nuts? With this, maybe it sounds like he was talking. suach <laughs> <laughs> to talk. The answer is that suach Sicha means conversation. And we're told in the Midrash that there's 10 levels of prayer. There's 10 levels uh, but, uh, there's ten words associated with prayers just like the uh, just like the uh, the uh, the uh, Eskimos have seven words associated with snow right they have such nuance uh, you know in Judaism there's ten words of ten different styles it's a very highly nuanced Lasuach is the highest level right? when it says means Isaac went out to pray Isaac is the paragon of prayer. Prayer is very personal. Prayer is very private. We don't believe in praying out loud, at least on the personal themes. Isaac is presented as a very private person. We don't know much of his relationship because his area of focus was at the uh, the depths of his own character. It was private. It was him and God. It was something that we, we don't need to know about so much. Right. Thus, the Torah seems to, uh, you know, not necessarily highlight his quality, because it tells us what it is, but it also tells us that you should know that this is something that's very private and personal. Right. Your prayer. Fast forward, and that's the second thing that upholds the world. And lastly, uh, Yoshev Ohalim. Yaakov was one who sat in the tents, in the tents of Shechem. Yaakov is presented from day one, as being Torah, as being Torah study, as being dedicated to the ideals of 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 of, of Judaism, uh, of, of studying, of 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 being in the pursuit. Remember what happens to Jacob? Jacob, he uh, so he's sitting. Yosef, Ohalim, uh, That's what it says to him at the beginning. He's sitting in the tents studying Torah, and then <laughs> with the whole episode of stealing the when when he usurped the blessings from his brother. Right? Remember the guys? Y'all remember that? And, you know, the 90th minute, he snuck out, and then Asaph says, I'm going to kill him, and Yaakov runs away. So there's 14 years that are unaccounted for. And Rashi tells us that what did he do during those 14 years? He went to study in Yeshiva. Before Jacob departed Israel to go east to see his spouse, he spent 14 years straight in Yeshiva. And in fact, we're told that he didn't sleep. He didn't sleep. And we remember when he went and he lied down and he had the dream with the Right. He went to sleep. Rashi tells us over there that this was the first time he had actually went to sleep. He had lied down in 14 years because he was so intensely studying that he would study. uh, But when he was tired, he put his head down, you know, quote unquote. He didn't have uh, 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 a established time of sleep. That was his dedication to the Torah study. Obviously, the paragon of Torah study somewhat beyond our capacities. And my grandfather would say that he had a uh, uh, he had an instructor in one of his yeshivas uh, who would no I don't before as a quit the I'm not going to debate the merits of this behavior you know, this, this is whether you, whether or not you think it's something that's for us or not is uh, an open question uh, but either way, he said that he had a teacher that would study Torah in yeshiva okay great fantastic Lots of guys in yeshiva studying Torah. But then at night he would just stay there and he would study Torah till he was tired and he would put his head down until he woke up, and then he would continue study Torah. and he would do that for the entire week and he would go home to his family on Shabbat. That's it. Like I said, I could see that there's skepticism, and I agree, obviously you know, that, 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 that's somewhat of, a, of an extreme dedication to, to Torah study. But that idea was even found in, in, in the 20th century. Either way, this shows us that, I, that, that Jacob is representative of, of, of this third quality of Torah study. And as we know, Torah study is, you know, it's been a national obsession for the Jewish people for, for millennia. You know. uh, so, th- you know, and, 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 because, and that, that's who we are. You know, we're a nation where if you push us, if we're endangered, if we feel cornered, if we feel uncertain, we automatically pray. That's what happens. That's what a Jew does. My grandfather tells the story uh, that he heard from one of his students in the war of of uh, of independence in Israel, 1948. He says that there was a um, one of his students was on a ship. Okay, uh, the ship is full of, of of soldiers, but these weren't necessarily experienced soldiers. Soldiers, these are you know these are like uh, you know young, ideal, idealistic, Zionistic, uh, Mapamnikim, as they say. Uh, you know, left-wing, kind of more the idealistic kibbutznik type. Uh, and that kind of model is not very faithful. That's just the way it is. And they were hit by a torpedo. And they start calling out for help, and the ship is slowly, slowly sinking. And then, it, as if in unison, the entire people start calling out, the Almighty, please help us. akadosh Baruch Hu, save us. And my grandfather would say that this is like an instinct that the Jewish people have. Deep down in our soul, we have Isaac's quality. We have the quality of being dedicated, limped in our soul, in 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 a level that's so deep that we don't even feel it. It's covered with you know. It has there's a lot of 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 uh, of levels that we have to penetrate to actually tap into that. But under certain circumstances, our soul will 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 cry out uh, uh, to God in prayer. When you say. Yaakov was studying in Torah. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Um, that's a question that you've asked me already twice. You know that, right?
1: Because well,
0: this was not, was not there yet. I was going to yeah. ask you also. Yeah. Uh, wasn't it yeah. It's a good question. But you remember you asked me this, right? You remember you asked me this in a uh, studio about a, m- a month ago. Yeah. I'm kind of old. That's okay. <laughs>
1: I, was going, I was wondering. That's a very yeah. good
0: question. The answer is like this um, Torah existed. 974 generations before the world was created. Now, it existed existed in a different plane, in a different phase. It wasn't written down, like you said. Um, However, it is the software of the soul. Thus, it's there, and it was there for everyone. However, it's inaccessible. If y'all remember, if you ever heard of this idea of of the uh, child in utero, Studying the whole Torah. Anyone's anyone heard of that? Yes. No. And yeah? You it it, uh, and you forget it when you're born. That is a Talmud in tractate Nida, 30b. Okay? That's what it says. Child in utero studies the whole Torah. About to be born, they forget it. Now, what does that mean? Like, It's a very bizarre statement. Like, why teach the child the whole Torah? Or if only they forget there? Why the why, why child in utero? Yeah, it's, very, it's a very... Sp- you know, bizarre kind of teaching. Uh, but it's explained that a child in utero has a soul because the Talmud elsewhere says that, that the soul uh, inhi- inhibits the person, not inhibits, uh, inhabits the person uh, from conception. Thus, throughout the gestation process, the child has a soul. And the soul innately knows Torah. That's what a soul is. A soul is spirituality. It has overlap with Torah innately. Thus, the child Yeru knows the whole Torah. However, as the child is about to be born, he forgets it. Why does he forget it? Because now they have the Eitz the evil inclination. That that, that what we the, those layers that we that we described as the what, what's what's heaped upon the soul and making the soul forget it. That is given to the child at at birth. Thus, in the interim. From when they have the soul to when they have the uh, inhibitors of the soul, they have just an unhindered and untethered and unsullied soul. Thus, the child innately knows the whole Torah. As they're about to be born, they get the, the influence of the evil inclination. They forget it. But it's there. It's still there. The soul's still there. It's just covered up. If you were able to dig de- deep within yourself, if you were able to uncover the full power of the soul, by subjugating the influence on top of it, by overcoming the powerful inhibitors that are placed upon the soul, you indeed would know Torah without having to have external instruction. In fact, the Midrash asks the question that Dave asks. It doesn't doesn't ask a question about about Jacob, it asks a question (coughs) about, about Abraham. And it says as follows and Avi here will help me to make sure that I'm not mistranslating it. (laughs) Mehechan lamad Avraham avino Torah. From whence did Abraham study Torah? Me'atzmau lamad. He learned it from himself. From himself. From himself? He taught himself? No. From deep within himself, he had it there already, implanted on his soul. Thus, to answer your question, all of us, without learning the Torah, can theoretically know the whole Torah. I say theoretically because we have to be people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to achieve that, which is highly unlikely. So in theory we can, and not only us, even Gentiles, or even people that are, have nothing to do with Judaism, because they have a soul. If they have a soul, by dint of having a soul, they can have the powers of the soul, the knowledge of the soul, the Torah of the soul. So that's how, that's how uh, uh, Jacob studied Torah. That's how you, you, you study Torah before it's actually given. Now we have the Torah externally where we can study the Torah. It's much easier for us to learn Torah, to internalize the Torah. But essentially what we're doing is we're creating a bridge between us and kind of our soul. Because our soul, like when you read this, the soul stirs to life. You know, the, the, the soul is kind of hearing its natural tongue. Being enunciated outside, kind of like you awaken the power of the soul because the soul may be dormant within you. But when it hears the Torah, it it wakes up, it perks up. You awaken the sleeping giant within ourselves. Either way, that's the recap of Genesis, the qualities of our forefathers. And what I want to do is really dig deep. You know, this is not a class of surface level learning. Is that right? Is it? It's It's not right. Do we take things for granted or at at face value? Absolutely not. Thus, what I wanted to do is, first of all, I'm going to open this to a floor vote, but we're going to dig into one of these three topics, either Torah or Avodah, service, prayer, or Dimul Chasadim, kindness. And we're going to try to gain tremendously deep insight into what it is exactly and how do we... Take the lessons of Genesis and use it as Torah. Make it instructive and make it impactful onto our lives. Like, how do we live differently now? We've studied the whole Genesis. Fantastic. Wonderful. Let's tap ourselves in the back and go across the street and eat, right? All right. Or, I know we did that. I know. Uh, um, Or, what we do is we say, what is going to be our, our kinyan, our, our acquisition? What is going to be the impact, the everlasting impact of the Genesis is we're going to impart within ourselves the qualities of Genesis, the qualities of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that are upholding the world uh, and that are so instructive to the Jewish people. So what I want to do here is I want to let you guys choose. Do we want to hear about Torah? Do we want to hear about Vodah? Do we want to hear about Avodah? Let's put it to a vote. Dave. Are those three? Yes, those are your options. For tonight. For tonight. Okay, so the vote was kindness. And let us start off with a few verses in the Torah. It's actually in the Tanakh. And it says in the prophet in The prophet, uh, Micha,
1: difference between
0: Torah and Tanakh. Uh-huh. Or Torah is the first five books oh, of I'm the impressive. Bible. Okay, now Tanakh reading. is an acronym for Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, which means Torah, Prophets, and Writings. Else, that right. includes all 24 books of the Jewish Bible. Or... Known in secular, you know, the world or the Christian world as the Old Testament, old and outdated. Yeah. <laughs> um, <coughs> <laughs> yes, uh, the in the Testament, whatever. Yeah, because Rab his brother gave us Oldenox. Right? So it says as follows: He did lecha Adam matov umah Hashem kudoresh mimcha kiim asot mishpat va'avad chesed v'tzal lecha im Hashem alukecha. Which means, what is the Almighty ask from us? What is my demand from us? what's good, and one of the three things that are listed is love of kindness. Additionally, we are told no less than eight times in the Torah, you should go in the ways of God. Go in the ways of God. Now, let me ask you all a question. How could I go in the ways of God? Like, God is an idea that's very distant from us. God is something we can't see. Like, we, what does this even mean? So the Talmud says when it says go in the way of God, it means behave like God. And it gives a few examples. Mahu hu just like the Almighty is merciful, so too you be raḥum. Af ata rachum. Mahu hu the Almighty is benevolent, you be benevolent. The Almighty is, the Almighty does kindness, you do kindness. Thus, what it's telling us is that when we act in a kind manner, we are emulating God. We're being godly-like, so to speak. We're walking in the ways of God. Tremendous, tremendous idea. We find elsewhere that it says that if someone studies Torah but does not do kindness, if someone only studies Torah but doesn't do kindness, I'm saying it in Hebrew because we have a natural Hebrew speaker here, so I apologize. But I'll give translations to everything I say in Hebrew. If someone does Torah but does not do kindness, it's as if they don't believe in God. Say, wait a minute, Howard, right? You study Torah. You invest your life in pouring over an ancient book, Torah. You open it, it says Torah. Fantastic. You spend your life studying Torah. Why? Because it's the Almighty's Torah. And I tell you, you know what? If you don't couple that with kindness, you don't believe in God. What? How can I believe God? Why, how is kindness so pivotal, so crucial, so essential, so vital, so indispensable for faith, that if you have this, but don't have that, you don't have faith. If you don't have kindness, you don't have faith. How is it a prerequisite for kindness? No. No, maybe, very good, very good. What'd you say? No. Uh, additionally, we find as follows. Uh, this is a from the Talmud. Ha Torah. I'm sorry guys, I'm doing it all in Hebrew, but I'll translate it. The Torah is, the beginning is kindness, the end is kindness. The beginning is, if you remember the beginning of Genesis, what happens? Uh, Adam and Eve are naked, and they're uncomfortable about that. And and God made them clothing of leather, and he got them dressed. Which is an act of kindness. That's the beginning of the Torah. What's the end of the Torah? What's the very last episode in the end of Deuteronomy? Moses dies. dies. Now, who's there? Who is there at the time of death? No one else is there. There's no other humans. Just God. Who buries Moses? God burying someone—that's an act of kindness. Kindness is very broad, right? Anything good that you do for someone else is kindness, right? Or uh, you know, there's higher levels of kindness than there's lower. We'll get to that as well. But. The Torah starts off with kindness, and it ends with kindness. The two bookends at the beginning of the Torah are kindness. What does that tell us about the very nature of of the Torah? The Torah is a book about kindness as well. The lessons of the Torah are kindness. It's an indispensable uh, pillar of, of the Torah. And in fact, we find something even very striking, the idea of Gematria. Is anyone here unfamiliar with the idea of Gematria? Gematria is where Hebrew letters have a numerical value associated with that. So the first letter equals the number one, second letter equals number two, tenth letter is the number ten, the eleventh letter is the number twenty, and the very last letter, the twenty-second letter, is four hundred. So is Torah is twenty-six? Twenty-two. Twenty-six is English alphabet. Okay, English. Torah is twenty-two. Uh, that says 1 to 3 to 10, 10 to 20, 100, 100, 200, 300, 400. Why did that that, that uh, 1 to, three one three to three 10, three and then seven 10 seven to, seven 20, seven 20, seven to 20, nine 30, nine. But no 11, there's no number that's 11. It's just 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 200, 300, 400. So the last, You can do it again. The last four, 11. last three. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 200, 300, 400. So that's 22 letters. Yeah, we good? So, and and the and Hebrew language is built upon a premise where the, the words uh, are very much linked with their meanings. Uh, but also that the numbers of letters that correspond to the words Are also uh, have meaning as well. So, the word Torah is 611. Now, how many mitzvahs are there in the Torah? Who knows? 613. 613, right? 613 mitzvahs in the Torah. However, we find the following statement. Torah, tziva, lanu. Who can finish that sentence louder. Torah, right. Torah, tziva, lanu. There you go. That's a sentence in Deuteronomy. Torah was instructed to us by Moshe. Now, if y'all remember, this is a little bit of a spoiler alert for Exodus. Spoiler alert. In Exodus, we're going to have this momentous event on a mountain called Mount Sinai. And there, there's going to be 10 commandments. The first two commandments are going to be delivered by the Almighty. Thus, if you have 613 mitzvahs, 611 of them were given to us by Moses, right, as a conduit. Two of them were given to us directly by God. Thus, Torah, Tziva nu Moshe, makes a lot of sense. 611 were given to us by Moshe. Now, you'll have to trust me for the next one, but the numerical value of Torah is 611. The numerical value of Dimilut Chasadi, which means kindness, is also 611. Perhaps the lesson is... Do not underestimate the centrality and the importance of kindness. Don't think that, oh, Torah is so important. No, no, no. If you study Torah alone, you don't believe in God. You have to have a harmony of Torah and kindness. Okay, now what's kindness? Who remembers here, let me do a little test here, a little Genesis flashback. Who remembers an episode Trying to think of a good way to mask the question. There's a little quiz here. There was an episode where there was someone who was looking for something, and it was looking specifically that that something should have the quality of kindness. Maybe I'll be giving it away, maybe not enough. Uh, Rebecca, booyah, is that what I was looking for? I'm trying to not say enough, but say enough, but still say enough. If you all remember in Parshat Chayei Sarah, in the, very, in the fifth of, tw- of 12 sections of Genesis, Abraham is looking for a son for, uh, uh, looking for a wife for his son Isaac. He sends Eliezer with ten camels. They head east to his family. He goes to the to the well and he starts praying, and he says to God, "Okay, God, send me a wife for Isaac, and I will make a test. What's the test? The the woman who's the correct match for Isaac, I will ask her. Give me something to drink, and she's going to say, 'No, no, no, no. I'll give you to drink.'" But I'll give your camels as well to drink. So what happens? Rebecca walks out and she has the, the jug, of a uh, judge, she goes and he runs over to her and says, give me something to drink, she says, Oh sure. She fills up the water for him, gives him to drink, and then she without even being prompted to, without being asked to, she starts running and giving the the the, the, uh, the camels to drink. Right. Eliezer. on instructions of Abraham was looking for a woman who is going to be kind to be the wife of Isaac. Now perhaps it's just a coincidence. Or perhaps Abraham understood that a fundamental quality of the Jewish people that is being built right now is kindness. And Isaac has to be married to such a woman who has such the exceptional quality of kindness... That is kindness, unprompted kindness. It's kindness where someone, I see what someone else needs without being told about it. It's not merely, oh, could you pass the water or could you give me something or could you give me a ride or could you let me $100? It's much deeper. It's a perspective on life wherein what I see in someone else is not a surface level, just what they're going through, but on a much deeper level, I kind of superimpose myself into their shoes and I ask the question, what are they going through? It's, a, it's, it's, it's an identity, it's a perspective where you see the world from someone else's lenses. You put yourselves in their shoes. You ask, okay, this person is thirsty, they came from the what do they need? Oh, they're thirsty, I could give them a drink. But if I'm selfish, if I'm living in the confines of my own little cocoon, then I say, okay, you want a drink? Okay, sure, I'll give you a drink. Here's the water. But if I'm a person who has the quality of kindness, I don't just live, live for myself. I don't live in this little cocoon that I, that I have built for myself. Rather, I go into someone else's life. And I, and I break out of this little jail, perhaps, that you might... Call it, and I would say to myself, "Okay, this person, what do they need?" And if I ask myself the question, that question, if I have that perspective, then of course they need to have, you know, water for the camels. Look at them; they just came weary from, you know, from, the, from you know, from traveling. Thus, the the quality of kindness that is the Abrahamic quality of kindness is not merely about doing good for others. That that's kindness. That's a much lower level. The highest level, the one that we're trying to emulate, the one that we have to take with us in our emergence from Genesis is Abraham and Rebecca level quality of kindness. We're in, I see the world from someone else's perspective. I ask myself the question, what are they going through? Uh, Classic story. Maybe you all have heard it. If you have, then forgive me if I repeat it. The story of kindness. Um, a rabbi gets a knock on the door on the day before Passover. Who here is familiar with the story? Just raise your hand when it, when it becomes familiar, if it does. Maybe it doesn't. So the rabbi gets a knock on the door uh, the day before Passover. Very busy day for rabbis. And one of his constituents there says to the rabbi, I have a question. Oh, you have a question. Fantastic. What's your question? I would like to know if I could use, instead of four cups of wine, four cups of milk. Okay, who here has not heard it? You have not heard it? Okay, that's good. Okay. He wants to know, can I use four cups of milk instead of four cups of wine? So the rabbi goes to the butcher shop and starts looking and says, oh, 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 I, don't know. I don't know. Well, he tells him, no, listen, no. But I gave you some money. He gives him some money, gives him a sizable amount of money, and the guy goes, fine. So the rabbi's wife was privy to this whole interaction. She says to him, okay, the guy says he doesn't have money for, I guess, wine. He wants to use milk instead give him money for wine, or just give him a bottle of wine, right? Why did they give him such a sizable amount of money? So the rabbi tells his wife, well, from his question, I understood that he doesn't have meat for the meal either, because he would never have considered to drink four cups of milk if he has meat as well in the meal. Must be that he has no money for meat, nor wine. So I gave him enough money for everything, for meat and wine. My grandfather would use this story as an example of what kindness is. You know, if it was one of us, not one of us, you guys are probably all kind, but if it was me, someone comes to you with a question, you know, so, so what? I don't know, maybe I am, okay, so if it came to you, okay. <laughs> and you're presented with a question, so there's a surface level, there's a deeper level. You say, okay, someone can use milk, so you say, no, well, they can't use milk. Only a heartless person wouldn't help that, you know. Everyone would say, you know, the, guy, the guy, poor guy doesn't have enough money for, for wine. Give him wine. The kind person takes it a step further. The kind person asks the important question or has the important perspective of what is that person going through. And then if you think about it from that vantage point, then it's clear to you, clearly they don't have money for meat either. It's, it's obvious that they're saying they don't have money for meat, you know. The surface level, they're asking about milk, but, but at a deeper level, it's clear they don't have meat either. That perspective is the perspective of kindness that Rebecca demonstrated. Now, if you were to think about it this way, like, okay, so this is a really nice, high-level quality, very, very important, you know, very, you know, this great rabbi and Rebecca and Abraham. I want to say, perhaps, that this quality is so fundamental uh, to our life, uh, and it's so uh, impactful in so many different areas of our life that um, we all need to have it. It's not just that it's, okay, we learned Genesis, let's take the lesson on Genesis. It's not like, oh, we're Jews, and this is, you know, Abraham's quality of kindness, and this is the three pillars that uphold the world. Uh, let's learn about it. It's essential for us in life. We cannot live life without, you know, incorporating within ourselves some measure of this quality. How so? I'll start with number 1 marriage. I propose, I argue that the only way for someone to have a successful marriage or harmonious marriage is if they incorporate this quality in, into their lives. You know, we start off life as babies with almost not a single redeeming quality, you know, uh, besides for being cute, I guess, you know, uh, smiling. But a, a child essentially incorporates all the bad meadows, all the bad characteristics that, you know, they're selfish. All they care about is themselves. You know, they don't pay any, uh, uh, they don't heed at all to the fact that their mom may be sleeping at three in the morning. Maybe radically. <laughs> is that radical? Huh? Uh, if I'm hungry now or if I'm unsettled now, if I'm steered now or if I'm whatever now, my stomach's right now, I will scream until it's taken care of. Right? That's selfishness. Right? All you care about is yourself. But that's how we start life, you know, every one of us, you know. A small child rarely wakes up to tend to her crying mother. It doesn't happen, it happens the opposite. You know? Children don't hear about others, all they hear about is themselves. Over the course of our lives, you know, obviously with some instruction, but also with some maturation, we learn to slowly see others, to be considerate of others, right? To take into account what someone else is going through. Right, kindness is the nth degree of that, where you see every individual that you encounter. Right? but let's say we were not kind. Let's say we're selfish. We come to marriage. What happens when selfish people marry each other? Yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah. But break it down for me. What happens is that they're each selfish. Right. If they're if they're selfish. Right. And they don't compromise. They don't compromise. And what happens? Anytime there's a conflict, right? I want it my way. I don't want to give it. I'm selfish. I don't care about what you think. Well, she wants it her way. Conflict arises from selfishness. Marital conflict is the result of selfishness. It's a result of the two people not breaking out of this own little identity cocoon that they've had since they were babies. They're, and what happens? That's, well, they don't become one new identity. Because in order to forge a new identity, in order to be, as it says in Genesis, hearkening back to Genesis, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's what marriage is about. That's what happened. Remember, Adam? Adam said, this time it's bone for my bone, flesh for my flesh. This one they're called women. al therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, shall cleave to his wife, and shall become one flesh. That's what marriage is. You have to abandon your father and your mother. You have to leave. You have to abandon the qualities that happened to you when you were under the tutelage of your father and mother, when you were but a, a little lad, when you were selfish. You have to break out of that in order to, to to be married. If you don't have that, you don't have any chance in marriage. Perhaps the deeper lesson with the Rebecca story is that yes, it's important. It's important that Rebecca have that quality you know, in, in an astronomical uh, or, at or, or, uh, you know, to be uh, a, 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 a visionary in kindness. But really for every marriage to succeed, it has to have some level of Rebecca and Abrahamic quality kindness for it to succeed. Otherwise, you have, you know, you could have separate, it does exist, you know, really, this idea at least of separate remote controls and separate cars and separate bank accounts and separate bedrooms and separate television, and separate lives. You know, that, that unfortunately is a reality. That's not marriage. For marriages to be successful, they have to incorporate the quality of kindness. Uh, I would argue that kindness is also the key to faith. You remember, we talked about Abraham. Abraham is the paradigm of kindness. However, we know that there's a backstory to it. We know that Abraham was the leader of faith. We know that. And we ask the question at the beginning of our discussion, well, why is Abraham presented... Uh, not as the the the, the 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 theologian who introduced a new idea uh, of monotheism to the world. He's not presented like that. He's presented as the kind, you know, the leader of kindness. W- what's the overlap? You know, how is it possible? Was Abraham just going like, you know, this is a, a divergent evolution? Like, he just happened to randomly be great at kindness and randomly be great, be great at, at faith. Just, he was just a great guy and, and they have no overlap? Or perhaps, is a deeper level. And in fact, the Talmud tells us. Am I speaking too fast, guys? We're we good. Perfect. Talmud tells us. Uh, Talmud makes a connection between fear of God, faith, on one hand, and kindness. That these two are linked. Once again, we see the idea of Abraham incorporate within himself these two qualities. Well, fear of God. Well, fear of God means uh, means a seriousness in the relationship of, of God. Thus, faith. So I fear of I mean.
1: faith,
0: but you just don't even think; just believe. It. Faith, no, but faith is you That's live it. it. It's real, it's 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 palpable, it's 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 a tangible in your life. So
1: remember, what well, you don't know, but I grew up in the Roman Catholic. Yes, and they keep telling you, oh, faith, 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 faith. It, but it. Jewish That's
0: faith, it. it's Jewish faith is about fear, fear of God, which okay. means you act in a different way than you would have otherwise. Okay, right. Now, um, now, like this, what could they? Well, what could possibly be the overlap? The answer is as follows: Child, back to that child, that bratty, obnoxious little baby who's adorable. Oh. I know, I have a bunch of them myself. They're adorable, <laughs> right? What do they? What do they see? You know, in their in their view, who exists? They exist. They're locked in a box. And the only thing that they possibly see is themselves. Do they see others? No. Do they see God? Also not. Also not. What happens? The child matures. The child grows. The child breaks out. You know, takes a little chisel. Makes a little hole in this little cocoon that they had come into the world in. What do they see? It's like you open the window. You see the sky and the trees and the grass and the people. Once you have the window open in your heart, you see others, you have kindness, you see God, you have faith. At the core of what changes in a person from being a man who does not have faith to a man who has faith. When I say man, I mean man as in a mankind, right? not man versus woman. Mm-hmm. What changes when a man has kindness, right? Right? From when they had no kindness, it changes that their perspective on the life changed. They open up a window in their heart. Once you have this window open, faith is possible, kindness is possible. Otherwise, it's impossible. Thus, Abraham is presented as the paragon of kindness. You know why? Because his heart was wide open. His heart, and that's why he had the faith as well. Those two themes were a result of Abraham going through the process of opening up his heart. And he allowed the faith, he allowed uh, uh, the kindness, because that will result after uh, uh, after you go about this process. But when does the child start seeing the uh, Okay. See,
1: is it when he has a brother suddenly? Because, I mean, this is, I've seen kids that were born maybe three years apart and one, eight, nine.
0: Yes, so uh, So the the answer is like this: that sometimes, yeah, Uh, there are sometimes that people are really old, ninety eight years old, and they're still babies. They're still selfish, and even though they may have kids and grandkids and great grandkids, but at the core, they're selfish. So I don't think it's mandated to happen. I think I think that that the circumstances. Are are, are are agreeable for it to happen you know as you mature as you a parent a, a good parent uh, a responsible parent teaches the child to notice others right? it, it exposes the child to faith and and, and and opens up the child's heart to other ideas and that will have a ripple effect either way I think if you open up a child's heart heart to kindness or to faith either way you're making a little, a little cheek in the armor a, a little window, in, in, into his heart. either one will, will will necessarily lead to the other. But I don't think it's it's an absolute that it must happen. I think it it's likely to happen at least to a small degree. Uh, and I think marriage will also a good marriage will also compel that because a marriage will uh, will expedite the process by, by you know by uh, uh, you know kind of by force almost because that's kind of the only way to make a marriage work. Uh, that, and then we talk about just Jewish marriage and the role of Jewish marriage uh, on a big picture. It's it's about it, essentially marriage helps a man achieve faith because if man was on their own, well, they'd have a much harder time. They would much, they would move much slower, much slower uh, along the process. But uh, but I, I think it, most people it will happen to a certain degree. Uh, the gray people, it happens to an, an incredible amount of degree. Like yeah, the people that genuinely care about other people, genuinely. And they have concern. They have sleepless nights. You know, um, my grandfather always told the story about his Rebbe, Rabbi Yerucham Lavavitz, in Poland, in the Mir. He said that um, there was a student, in a Russian student, uh, who was, uh, I guess he was in yeshiv, but he went back to his family, and they um, they put him in into the army. Now, to go to the Russian army means, basically, you have now... Um, 25 years, you're going to be in the army. Like, what's going to happen to you, to your family, to your life, to your... Li- nothing, right? He was so worried about it that he went... To, this is what Raphael says. He went to sleep at night with a black beard, woke up next morning with, with a white beard. He had such terrible concern as if it was his own child. That's what the great people looked like. You know, so it, 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 there, it's a spectrum. It's a very wide spectrum. Of, of course, on the top of the spectrum, you have people like Abraham and Rebecca, You know, Jews... More than any other group, personify that. Who are the ones who are talking about, you know, uh, care for the, uh, uh, for the less fortunate? Just, not even Jews that are religious, but just Jews. We have this innately because we're descendants of Abraham. You know, this is the hallmark of our religion. You know, we care for others. But, but where did that come from? It came from Abraham. And that's why Jews, even Jews that are very distant from Judaism, have an open heart. You know, Jews are traditionally more liberal. You know, I don't want to get into the whole t- politics. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But traditionally, Jews are more of of the ones who are concerned, uh, who are philanthropic for you know for the needs of the poor, who who open up their hearts and their and, 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 you know and their, and their, and their pockets and 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 their their lives to those that are less fortunate. Well, where did that come from? Perhaps that's the echoes of Abraham. You know, that's the influence. That that's our religion. This is what we're doing. Remember, we're the ones who are upholding the world. We're the ones who have to demonstrate these qualities. We're the ones who are completing the mission that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob began. Yes, so that's to answer your question. I, I do think that uh, it, it will happen almost necessarily because life compels us for that to happen, but it's not guaranteed. And yes, indeed, you see children that hate each other. Well, is your brother. You know? Okay, but your brother, but you're, he's outside the box. If he's outside your box outside the sphere of importance for you, well then you know it's not important to you. And who cares it's your brother?
1: Now if the children are so selfish, how come I've seen children that are one and a half years old, they, they have a new baby in the house, and that child one and a half, two years old, is very protective of that other baby.
0: That means that the parents did a good job in 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 telling the child this is this is your brother, this is your baby, or, you're in charge and they feel like, well this is mine. It's like the cheat would still be inside the box, but it's his toy, you know? So you're telling me I'm a good mother. Yeah,
1: that's My right. My children were like that
0: with one. That's absolutely right. You're a good mother. Yeah, <laughs> but can you be godlike and not be kind? No. Well, well, you ask, Can you be godlike and not, not, be, not be kind? Well, um, uh, I, I don't I don't think so. I, I mean, it means when it says to walk in the ways of God, the examples are all ones of kindness. So, I don't know what you would be if you would not be kind. Oh, well, I've seen a lot of fruit people not, not be kind. Well, so what? Now, if, if somebody... Like is, the Orthodox Jew eats pork and Yom Kippur, what does that mean? That probably doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah. If, what does it mean when you see an Orthodox Jew eating pork and Yom Kippur? What does that mean? It's not, it's not Orthodox. That's exactly, exactly right, you know? If someone doesn't not kind, well, maybe he, they didn't. They don't walk in the ways of God. Wait a minute, not even... Did that, and I'm joking. I, mean, I know it's, it's okay, a joke. Yeah, <laughs> <be joking. laughs> Obviously.
1: You yeah. me.
0: No one does that, of course. But if someone did do that, well, that demonstrates that they're not what they claim to be, right? I said, what do you say about the Orthodox It's a joke. What do you say about the Orthodox Jew who eats pork, Yom Kipper? It's it's, it's it's hilarious? You think so? You say he's a rebel. Huh? He's rebelling. Uh, well, or he's not what he claims to be. Yeah, that's not what an Orthodox Jew does. So, if someone could be observant Jew but not fulfilling the mitzvah of walking the waves of God,
1: okay, okay, okay. no, you Now, kindness doesn't mean it. you're an idiot that you are going to
0: let. Him oh him no, you're not pushover. No, push oh, absolutely still can not. carry your gun Of course. You okay. Yeah. Well, if they come into your if yeah. they if somebody
1: comes into my house and they are not welcome, believe me, they get out flat. If I'm not for myself, who will be? But if I'm only for
0: so, Well, there you go. That's, that's great. If you, you have to stand up for yourself as athlete, but if you can't just, all you care about is yourself, that's great. where do you pull that out of, Ed? Nice. What
1: Hello.
0: did you say? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so. And what did he say? He said something very clever. He said, he quoted the Mishnah, right? Which means as follows. If I am not for myself, right, who will be for me? If I don't fight for myself, no one will fight for me, right? But if I all I care about is myself, then what am I, uh, right? And if not now, when? Did I do, did I do a good job representing uh, your statement? Thank you. Lastly, I want to ready give you guys a head start into Exodus. Exodus, we meet a man who's going to be the central character to the end of the Torah, Moshe. What do we find about Moshe? What's the first thing, the first episode of Moshe as an adult? The Torah tells us Moshe as a baby, and then in chapter two of Exodus, verse eleven, we find the following statement: It happened in those days, and Moses grew up. Moses grew up. What happened? He went out to his brethren, and he saw their suffering. I think that's what the verse is. and he goes out and he sees the suffering of the Jewish people and he sees the suffering. he sees an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew man of his brothers. So if y'all if you want y'all analyze this verse, you'll find that something is repeated twice. one word is repeated twice. I'll read it again, okay It happened in those days. And Moses grew up and went out to his brothers and saw their suffering, and he saw an Egyptian man striking a Hebrew of his brother. It says the word "saw" twice. So the midrash asks, "What did he see? He seen something. What's he seeing?" And then it says, "This is what he saw. He saw six things. Six things. Six things. Thing number one." He saw an old man doing the work intended for a young person. He saw a young uh, young person doing the work intended for an old person. He saw a small person doing the work intended for a big person. He saw a big person doing the work intended for a small person. He saw a man doing work intended for a woman, and he saw a woman doing work intended for a man. Six things that Moses saw, as the Midrash tells us. What is it telling us about Moses' Remember, this is the first time we find the most important character in the rest in the Torah. This is the first thing we find out about him. Analytical. Huh? No, not only that. He sees what other people are going through. He see. He has Rebecca's quality. He sees the details, the minutia. So many different things he sees. All these the particular aspects of another person's life. That is the quality of Moshe. Continues the Midrash. Go ahead. What's in the Midrash? Midrash, what's that? And you can just
1: delineate
0: that. Ele- in me, sorry? in the Midrash. Here, but two statements Well, the Midrash is what we call part of the Oral Torah, which is the Teacher's Edition. Teacher's Edition. Well, it's an interpretation? It's a it's a reflection. Uh, oh, can okay, we going down another rabbit hole here? Yeah. Okay, okay. 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 But
1: we are talking about this class. Yeah, a year and a half with Genesis. Remember?
0: Yeah, I remember. I, I know. I will. I will try to answer the question without being here till midnight. Um, the idea is like this: uh, when the Torah, as a written document, is an incomplete document. That's undeniable to anyone. If God gave us the Torah, clearly he gave it with some oral companion. And in fact, the Torah itself, i.e. the written Torah, talks several times very clearly and several times a little bit less clearly, but implicitly, that there is an accompanying uh, corpus. Now we have a tradition that, uh, of the details of this corpus, right? incorporated the Talmud. Talmud is 63 books that are written about that when eventually had to be written. We have the Midrash, the many, many different uh, volumes of Midrash, etc. That's uh, briefly to answer your question. Uh, thus, the Torah is telling us, the, as the very first episode we find about Moses, it tells us that he had this quality. And then continues the Midrash. And this is, this is, this, this is I think, striking says God, so to speak. God speaks. God says, you know what? Moses, you were a prince. Moses is a prince. He's walking out. What does he see? What does he do? He spends time with those that are much lower than him. God says, you know what? I will do the same to you. God always works. Midah, midah, Tit for tat. Measure for measure. I, says God, I will abandon the heavens and I will lower myself to talk to you. Just like you abandoned your level of stature and you talked and you teared and you had a concern. About the Jewish slaves. Thus, the Torah is telling us from the very onset of the story of Moses, what is the quality that propelled Moses to greatness? He had the concern he, of everyone. And he, it wasn't just concern, oh, I really concerned, I really concerned. Really concern. It was a detailed concern. Six different things. Well, why do you tell us what the details are? Because that's what, the, that's what Rebecca taught us, that's the kindness. That we're looking for, where you actually see what every individual is going through, on their level, right? What are the particular aspects of the troubles that this individual is coming through? And this is the quality that propelled Moses to grace. I want to say another point: the first episode of prophecy that Moses had, right? Who remembers where that is? This is also spoiler alert for for, for Exodus. What's the first episode of Moses having prophecy? Booyah. the burning bush. What does God say? He's sees the burning bush, and it's not being consumed. It's very bizarre, and God tells him, take off your shoes. The first instruction that Moses has is take off your shoes. I want to say that this is a little bit of a darash. Drash means it's a little, it's not the simple understanding, but it, it's perhaps an illusion, An illusion, alluded to. It's a illusion. Perhaps what it's saying is, Moshe, you should know you're about to be the leader of the Jewish people. The first thing I'm going to tell you is take off your shoes. The first thing I'm going to tell you is that the reason why you have this mantle of leadership is because you are not living in your own shoes. You took off your shoes, your own perspective of life. You shedded that to see the life of others, to see the concern, the old person and the young person and the big person, the small person, the man, the woman you have that concern, you are seeing life from someone else's shoes, you should know that that's the quality that, 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 that's going to bring you to leadership. Thus, in conclusion, we could perhaps say as follows. Genesis taught us a lot. Genesis taught us, or gave us stories, episodes, of the great leaders and the great influencers and the great forbearers of our relationship. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these are the three pillars. These are the three uh, uh, chariots uh, this, this is the Jewish people. The qualities that they embodied are the ones that uphold the world, and that's what we use when we talk about olam to fix the world. How do you fix the world? By upholding it. Right? Yeah, by supporting it. By infusing it with spiritual vitality. If we want to actually say we did Genesis, we got to think we, we could say that. We went, we went across the street. We had the food, right? If we want to live Genesis, if we want to be different people as a result of our lessons, we want to take a chapter, a page out of Rebecca's uh, book, out of Abraham's book, out of Moses' book, out of that rabbi with the four cups, out of his book, and try to incorporate at in some level this quality of kindness. Not just kindness, oh, be nice, be generous. A vision. Right? Seen. Seen what? The details. What's this person doing? What's that person doing? All the details, all the little bits of what someone else is doing. Do. Take off our shoes on a small level. And you know what? We actually need to do that. Otherwise, we're little kids. We're brats. We're the spoiled kids that we're in this little box. Once we do that, we'll have much better marriages. We'll have faith. And we'll be somewhat of a leader. Maybe may be a leader to our family, but we'll be following the tradition of the great leaders of the Jewish people. So that's that, guys. Um, th- these are the lessons of Genesis, or at least one of the lessons of Genesis, and perhaps more is forthcoming. Thank you. I appreciate that. Any questions? There's a question there. I just want to say, not a question, I just want to get you out oh. I want you to know that really this was an event for
1: me. I could feel the energy going for me. I would mean, think like you're very, I don't know if you.
0: Go home and yourself lacking This is no you Thank you. Oh, best I've ever been. You know, Oh wow. <laughs> Thank you. It is strong. Yes, we have a we have a question. Life no. of Odophar, no. No. Podapar. No. Yeah, there there's something to to, to that effect. Yeah, uh, you know, it's the, I think it's the simplest uh ostas potifera. Uh it that's what it seems like. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, there's something I, I that sounds f- vaguely familiar, yes. Something like that. Uh, but uh, but I think the simplistic understanding is that Pot- Potiphar's, Potiphar's daughter, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right.
0: And the Rashi says that she saw that she had some level of prophecy where she foretold that she was going to have descendants from Joseph. Uh, and that was actually fulfilled not with her, but with her daughter. But I, there is something to what you're saying. I don't remember exactly the details of that. That's right. Dina's just a sister. Huh? Is, no, no, Potifar, uh, Potifar is, yes, that's somebody else. Okay, everyone, everyone have a wonderful week. Thank you all for coming. Is,
1: uh, Rabbi be uh, your brother, yeah. is he going to be back on
0: Thursday? Because we have a lesson I assume
1: on so. Thursday.
0: I and, assume so. I bet you're sure. Yeah, yeah, he'll be back. Your he'll be yes. Oh, yes. Yeah.